5, 15 to 6, 9, and I'm reading from the NIV version, the United Kingdom version. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the saviour. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, Love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honour your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training in and instruction of the Lord. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favour when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people. Because you know that the Lord will return, will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. Amen. Uh, can I add my welcome to uh, Jenny's? It's great to see you here this morning, and particularly there are a lot of visitors here, so um, thank you for joining us today. Um, please stick around after the service and we'll have a cup of tea and all of those kind of things. Now, boys, I'm about to go on. Are you ready? Sweet. You can hear me well. Okay. Um, the other thing you should know if you're visiting us is you're uh, arriving as we've been working through the whole book of Ephesians. So the reason we're looking at this passage this morning is because it's where we're up to in the book of Ephesians, um, and it's a great part of God's word to get into. Um, have you ever played, maybe I do this with my wife Tara a little bit, the game, who do you think's going to cry first? It's like that game where you know that you're going into an emotional situation, not like a, not like a sadly emotional situation, but one of those situations that might be like a graduation or a wedding or something like that and you're kind of like, you know, thinking about all the people that are going to be there and you're kind of, oh, I bet it's going to be, you know, 
her dad that cries first. Or I bet it's going to be the groom that cries first or this kind of thing. Uh, maybe it's the first day of school. So who's going to cry first? Is it mum as she leads her little boy up to the front gate? Or is it going to be her little boy who just doesn't want to go in on the first day of school? Or maybe it's at the school formal and you see your, your, you know, your uh, pimply-faced teenager finally dressed up in something that's respectable to be seen out in public in. Or maybe it's at a wedding. See, at my wedding, I was probably the one that lost the game. Uh, you guys just lost the game. Um, lost the game in that as soon as my niece, who was two years old at the time, walked out. She was the first one in the procession come out. I just like, lost it. I was bawling like a little girl. But there's nothing wrong with crying, okay? But um, a few weeks ago, you might know that um, our old pastor's daughter, only daughter and youngest in the family, got married. And I, was, I, I actually was separated from Tara. We weren't sitting together, but I was just like, I was playing the game with myself. Who's going to cry first? And her new husband, is a, he's a real softy, so I thought it's going to be him for sure. But it was just everyone. I couldn't even tell. As soon as someone walked in the door, everyone was just like, ah! Brian, where are you, Brian? You, oh, he's over in Kids Church. He was welling up when Emma walked in. She was one of the bridesmaids. Everyone was just like bawling. But that's the thing. These tears I'm talking about are tears of, of absolute joy, aren't they? And you might hopefully be able to relate to this, these times where you have just this overwhelming sense of joy that you do nothing but cry. Um, I'm a big fan of the band U2, and that, I realised, started way back when I was a little kid because it was on, like, they were on a mixed CD that we bought um, when we first got a CD player back in the early 90s, you know, the time when it was all new technology. And from then, I just love the band U2. Well, when Tara and I went to the concert, it was back in 2005, for about the first three or four songs, I don't really remember much except standing there bawling. I was in this crowd, and we were up really close. We were like in the mosh pit, but it's U2, so there's not much of a mosh pit. It's pretty tame. But I was just standing there bawling, so overcome, with emotion. And this kind of joy that comes from the heart, this kind of overwhelming uh, joy in something that you're experiencing or something that you realise, you see it here. Look at verse 19 of chapter 5. After he's told them to speak to one another with psalms, hymns and truths, he says, make music from your heart. To the Lord. Now, I've just kind of picked that verse out, haven't I? But we're going to see today that that is where he's instructed the response to the most beautiful thing that you can ever know. And that is the gospel of our Lord Jesus alive in a person's life. You won't see any greater beautiful than that. See, as we've already seen in the book of Ephesians, and we've just got to keep reminding ourselves of where we've been here, the beautiful gospel is the news of a risen Saviour. He's alive. The beautiful gospel is that in living and dying and rising, death has been destroyed and your sin has been dealt with. It has been dealt with. In rising, you've been brought into new life into a new path in this life, and it's taking shape. And this walk that you're being taken on is a walk that is light in darkness. It's a walk that actually works among a world that is otherwise completely in chaos. And do you know what? He's also come to be with you by his spirit. Isn't that amazing? That, that you will carry on following him by the power that he's put in you. And do you know what? In gifting his spirit, he empowers us to carry on following him by, we lear by learning to submit ourselves to him, to submit, to selves, uh, submit ourselves to him. And I want to, we've got to deal with that word today, submit, because it's been read to us so many times in this passage. Just think, of all the things that sin describes... Our resistance to submitting to God 
is kind of the most fundamental problem, isn't it? See, if we think about idolatry, putting something else before God, that's a failure to submit to him for who he really is. It's like us wearing our own little small crowns, thinking that we're in control of what is going on. That's a failure to submit to God, to who he really is. It's the whole problem of Genesis 3, when you learn about the first people, and they're there, and they're enjoying perfect relationship with God. Mate, if I was there, I'd be bawling, because I know what it's like. I know what I'm like when I'm overcome by something beautiful. It's no more beautiful picture, is there, of of, you know, in the cool of the afternoon, God was walking with them in the garden. What better picture is there than that of this closeness with God? Well, the, the problem is failing to have him as God. This problem, resistance to submitting, it's, it's the root of where sin comes from. So, have you realised that the gospel message leads us towards resubmitting our lives to Jesus? That's what's actually going on. See, we come to Jesus as a saviour. He, he reaches out and pulls us in by his grace. He makes us his own child. He adopts us. And then he, he calls us to live with him as our Lord, to submit to him. And, and he doesn't leave us to just kind of fumble in doing that. He actually gives us the Holy Spirit. And if you think about the Holy Spirit and you think about the whole Trinity, that God is three in one, you actually can see there that in the Trinity, the Holy Spirit is constantly in submission to the Father. It's constantly in submission to Jesus himself. See, all are equally God, but the Trinity itself shows us that there's an order to it, that there's the Father and the Son who submits to the Father's will. Just think of the Garden of Gethsemane. And then the Spirit who goes at the, at the command of the Son and at the command of the Father. They're, they themselves are submitting, and, and God's Holy Spirit is inside you, and he calls you to submit. And he's given you the thing, the, the part of him in your life that gives you the power to submit. Can you see how that works? What a phenomenal thing. See, everything from chapter 4 on in book, in book of Ephesians tells us that we need to submit to Jesus as our Lord. The gospel compels us to that end. Look at chapter 4, verse 1, if you've got a Bible in front of you. He says, As a prisoner of the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. That is, to come under the lordship of Jesus. You need to be filled with the Spirit to submit, and that's all littered throughout these passages. It goes against our flesh to submit. See, the, the problem that we have in actually obeying this is the problem that we are trying to do something that's beautiful in, in such an ugly world, aren't we? This idea of submission it's kind of like a dirty word, okay? You might even be kind of new here and thinking, what is this guy talking about? That's, you can't talk about that. Back in 2012, the Sydney Anglican Church, um, who, are, who are, you know, really, by and large, in the Anglican Church, a beacon of light for, for believing and teaching the gospel, and a lot of our leaders uh, work with them and tra- train with them. They're a great um, light where they are. Back in 2012, they actually updated the marriage vows that are standard throughout their, their um, denomination. And they took out the word, I will honour and obey you, and put in the word, submit, based on these verses. Well, wasn't there an uproar about that? Uh, Peter Jensen, their archbishop at the time, was on the Q&A show, you know, Monday nights with Tony Jones, and he was getting hounded. How can you guys be so backwards? How can you say... Submit. What an an awful thing to say. See, the thing is that what what we're talking about, submitting ourselves to anyone, let alone to God, just flies in the face of the way that most people live their lives in our society today. Thinking back to that wedding that I was telling you about, our old pastor, his daughter, Henna, I was sitting through that service 
And I was thinking, this is such a beautiful thing. And it wasn't just because everyone was like dressed up and it wasn't just because everyone was like overcome with the emotion of it. But the words that they shared with one another and the promises that are made was such a beautiful picture of, of sincere love and of genuine love for one another that they would put one another first. It wasn't until after that I occurred, this is probably the first time that I'd actually heard these wedding vows that were so controversial seven years ago actually said to one another. So this is the thing. We're dealing with something that is so beautiful. And we're doing it in a world that is so caught by sin that it's actually, it is tricky to talk about. I don't want to take this lightly. It can be hard to trust that there is beauty in a command to submit, to submit because we do live in a world that isn't just on a different course, but it is so tainted by sin, isn't it? So when we hear these words, we do have to be careful because people do abuse power. And there's been times where people have submitted where they needed to stand and say, no, that is wrong, and stay what it, what it actually is. And this has actually been a block for me this week to try to prepare this talk because we know about abuse. We know about abuse in churches. We know about abuse in families, in marriages. We live in a society that's completely undone any idea of gender and shaken up all the roles. At the end of this passage, we're talking about slavery. Now, that's a real world away to try to think about. And I was really through this week thinking, how am I going to preach this? How am I going to teach this to, to us here this morning? Do I apologise for this part of Scripture? Or do we celebrate it? And as I've looked into this, what has overcome me is the sheer beauty of the gospel, the sheer beauty of what God has done. Because when you read these passages for what they are, you will see that they are so rooted in the deep, deep, deep love of God and his gracious dealing with us that this is actually talking about the gospel transforming relationships in all of life. And that's what we're going to talk about today. And I hope that you can celebrate it with me in that way. See, the gospel is so beautiful that we don't want it to just be a personal ticket to heaven thing, but we want it to ooze out, to, to, to come into every single one of life's relationships. So the whole book of Ephesians is, is just about a world that is being reshaped by the power of a risen Jesus and a people that are being born out of that unending grace of Jesus. It's such good news that, G, that Paul has already called it that, that our lives are becoming a masterpiece, a masterpiece, that God is actually running brushstrokes through our lives as grace abounds in us and beyond us. Think about this today. What if every human relationship was made alive in Christ? What if the undoing of the curse of sin that comes through the gospel, that we're not only reconciled to God, but that it actually extended to reconciliation with other people? What if Jesus raised every broken relationship back to life? Why shouldn't this be our vision? And that's what we've got in mind as we come to these verses today. And I haven't prayed yet, and I'm going to pray now because I've set us up with a pretty ambitious thing to see this morning. So let's ask that God would, would show that to us. Loving Father, we do thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you that it speaks to us, Lord. I pray that it would be clear to us this morning. Lord, help me to be clear. Help, help us to know your grace. Spirit, be at work in our hearts to receive this word. In Jesus' name, amen. I've got an outline on the back of your sheet. Look, there's four things that we're going to look at. We're going to look at church, we're going to look at marriage, families, and then finally at work. Now, the picture of church that we get is that we are united. And the thing that we are all united in is the gospel. 
it's in a way that we're all holding on to it. It kind of gave me the picture. At the end of the football grand finals that have just happened, they give a team a cup or a shield or something like that. And what do all the players do? They all gather around under confetti and glitter and stuff. Maybe it hasn't happened to your team for a long time, so you might not know about it. But just in case, you know, Ralph, I'll, I'll describe it to you, mate. They all jump in and grab hold of the cup together. Isn't that the picture of the church? We are all sinners saved by grace, all grasping on to this glorious prize that we've won through coming to know Jesus. We are sharing in his grace. And so in that, we are connected by our dependence on him. Well, in verse 21, he takes us to say, in that connectedness that we all experience, because of what Christ has done, we are to revere him. And that's a weird word, okay? So you might meet a minister and you might call him reverend, but we don't really use those titles because it seems a bit, I don't know, outdated or something like that. And so it's a bit of an uncommon word. But this idea to revere something is to kind of hold it with this really high level of respect. And when you think about that for Jesus, it's almost like that's too weak of a definition. Okay, we're called to submit to him as Lord. It goes beyond just respect. But this idea that we are so in awe of Jesus and who he is. We are called to revere him. And what are we called to do in revering him? How will we show that we revere Christ? Listen to it, verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. See, all this comes from an appeal that because we are all so utterly dependent on Jesus, then we submit. That's the basis for submission. That's the call to submission because you are dependent on whom you are to, whom you're submitting to. And every single believer is called to submit right at the start of this verse. Just picking back up in verse 15, we actually see the first of four points that this verse makes about what this life as a church looks like, where we are in community submitting to one another. He starts there in verse 15, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise. See, we're called to careful living and that literally is talking about being careful with one another. In your relationships with one another, you need to be thoughtful with your words. It's already gone through that heaps in chapter 4 and earlier in chapter 5, that we need to be cautious. We need to be careful with one another. He talks there about being wise, and wise in verse 16 to make the most of every opportunity. Sometimes we meet in our community group, sometimes we, I go to that group, and I think, yes, this is so good because we're actually making the most of the opportunity being together. Occasionally there's times where you just think, oh, I, I was just distracted tonight and I did not make the most of that opportunity. It was kind of like a bit of a waste of time. But really this gives us a picture of not just the formality of getting to church on Sunday or meeting up in a gospel community group or whatever. It's actually every time you're shoulder to shoulder with another believer, making the most of every opportunity. Every time you're in proximity with another believer. When I lived in Armidale, there was the retired pastor of the church that I used to go to. So someone that I'm not seeing very regularly. And I was out checking my mail, and he was just wandering past on the way back to his house. And I can't remember what was going on for me, but he took the time to stop, say good day, which was polite, but made the most of the opportunity. And he stopped there, put his hand on my shoulder, and prayed for me for that day. That's making the most of every opportunity, actually recognising that we are living in submission to one another. Do you know what that actually means? That actually means putting other people first. It's back to what Jesus said, isn't it? Look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Actually, I just quoted Philippians. What did, how did Jesus say it? Uh, he said, love your neighbour as yourself, didn't he? That's exactly what's going on here. And it's this idea of seeking together God's will, actually being on that journey together, that we are side by side in holding on to Jesus, but also 
in following Jesus. It is praying alongside people. It is actually opening your life to that person, which is enormously scary, but enormously essential because it's actually in that way you can have that relationship. So that's the first thing. Be careful with one another. The second thing is remember that this is, uh, we are spirit-filled people, that we're all dependent on his spirit to live differently. He says it there in verse uh, 18. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the spirit. As a church, we need to be people who are constantly seeking to have God's spirit being the one that controls. It's no accident that he contrasts this with alcohol. See, how do you get full of alcohol? You just keep drinking. And how much does the alcohol affect you as you keep drinking? The more and more until you're rolling around on the floor. Now, he's not saying, you know, do that sometimes and then do the spirit the other times. He's just using it because it's, it's the right idea. God's spirit is always with us, but it is always available with us to have more control in our lives. It's not destructive like alcohol is. Remember that it will lead us to submit to him. Personally, I've, I've had to grow a lot in this area because if you talk too much about the spirit, some people might think you've you know, gone like Pentecostal or charismatic or something. Um, and some of the circles that I've mixed in, that's kind of like a bit, oh, you know, be really careful about that. You'll end up, you know, way off. For a bunch of you guys, I know that that's where you've come to us from, and it's not necessarily that you've come to us from there because there was something going on there that you didn't like. It's just that you've landed in Evans Head, and this is the town where, you know, there's a church that's following Jesus, so you've joined us. But I'm not, I'm not entering into that at all. But for me personally... I've really had to wake up to this in my life to know that God's spirit is actually there leading and guiding, prompting, speaking. So I encourage you to to look into that and to open up to that as well. Not only does it say that, but it says that the third thing, as a community who are submitting to one another, we actually sing together. Now on a Monday at school here up in the other hall, all the students joined together in the national anthem. And I'll tell you what, you could literally hear a pin drop while that anthem's going on because no one joins together in singing. It is like the daggy thing to do. And if I'm ever there, which sometimes I go to the assembly, sometimes I'm not here on Monday, but I'm standing up there and I sing my heart out and I just like stand out like a sore thumb. But this is the thing. Whether you're like, you know, Pavarotti or whether you're uh, Ariana Grande, is that how you say her name? Yeah, her. Or whether you sound like, you know, uh, Bob down at the pub on a Friday night, it doesn't matter because this is where that verse comes from. This is the overflow of the spirit in your life that you would sing. I remember when I was involved in SUFM, Beach Mission down there, people around the caravan park would say, are you guys the happy clappers? It was what they were known for because they'd make such a racket in singing that they were kind of branded with this are you the happy clappers kind of idea. This is the thing. We are singing people. The Spirit literally turns our words into songs. It says there that we are to sing to one another, singing, singing truth together that, that kind of is like affirming one another. Yes, this is what we know. This is what we've experienced. This is what we've tasted tasted and seen. We're going to sing and declare this together. And also, we sing to God. Because, you know, there's so much of what we would express to God that words just can't do, as in thinking words on the spot. But by singing them, it, it's, that, it's that intermingling of joy in what we're saying, isn't it? And then sometimes it might just be that you are overcome and you're crying and you're like me at the U2 concert, but for a far better reason. This is the idea of singing with thankfulness. And do you know what? This is the all because of submission. This is the fourth thing that he tells us about church. All of this is because of all of this is submission because we see how good it is what God has done. Let me just go over verse 21 again. Submit to one another 
out of reverence for Christ? Do you realize that it's actually for your own good that you would submit to one another? In fact, it's by God's grace that we even can submit to one another. And it's by God's grace that we're called to submit to one another. We can't submit to him if we haven't received him as our saviour. And so that's the thing. We submit ourselves to one another because we all share equally in him. The beauty of the gospel overflows into the community that's created here. And that's what it looks like, submitting to one another. And the beautiful gospel should spill over also into your marriage. Now, some of you guys aren't married, but still stay with me on what this says. Now, this uh, Bible passage was actually what we had at our wedding. Do you remember that, Tara? Didn't think so. And that's all right. Uh, But the reason was not because of Tara, because of me, okay? So Paul, our old pastor, married us, and he married us kind of after a string of kind of people of a similar age to us, whole bunch of people getting married. And I'd been to all these weddings that Paul had done, and so it was time for him to do ours, and I'm like, I've, not, I've picked up on you, Paul. You've got one wedding talk, and it's always on that one passage. So, mate, this is what our Bible reading's going to be, just to make him say something, I don't know, fresh or something, give him a little bit of work to do. Now, that's just insight into 21-year-old Les and what a bit of a smart aleck I was. Uh, and I'll tell you what, this was read at my wedding and I, had, I didn't understand it. And it's probably no surprise that I didn't understand it because I was, you know, sub-minus 10 days of being married when I said that's going to be the verse. See, I hadn't actually stepped into marriage when I said what, what this was going to be. And so that's why it had nothing to do with um, Tara. She was really sick at our wedding as well. But anyway, that's a side, a side mo- note. Now I've been married for 12 and a half years and I can see this picture kind of in some form in my marriage, which I'm thankful to God for. But what you need to do with this passage is exactly what Paul does. You actually realise that he's kind of talking about two topics in the same breath because he says as much about marriage in these passages as he does about the gospel. He does, he almost teaches as much about the gospel as he does about marriage. And it's actually really, really clever what he's doing here. So let's just see, just just be aware of that as we go through these verses. Let's start at verse 22 and listen to what it says again. Remembering that submission is the beautiful response to the beautiful gospel. He says, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands, as you do to the Lord. Now, some of us are husbands. Oh, sorry, some of us are wives. I jumped down to the wrong bit. Some of us are wives. This teaches us that by God's design, your husband is in a position of being head in your marriage. And that is to say that he carries both the privilege and the responsibility of leading. What submission means in this context is allowing him to take the lead. And that is not because he's superior and it's not because men are better than women because they are equal. But rather it is to allow him to grow in his Christian to grow in his Christ-like character. And so Paul says you're to submit to his leading in your marriage. That was one difference with your translation, Lynn. It didn't say submit to your own husbands because that's it. You only got to submit to your husband, not anyone else's. Verse 25, listen to it again. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So likewise, some of you are husbands. Your wife is to be loved by you in a way that completely sacrifices your desires to her needs. You hear that? 
Love her sacrificially. She is equal to you. You carry a responsibility for her spiritual well-being. Her, you're to be Christ-like in your character. And you are to lead her, but not to rule her. That's what this passage says. The Christians who are married here, we read from, from God's design and creation in verse 31, where he says, For this reason a son, sorry, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Christians who are married are united. And so if you read into these passages, some kind of power struggle between someone leading and someone being subordinate, or if you see it as someone, you know, being kind of like dragged along, you're forgetting this because you're married. You are one. You are are created into one body. That's the profound thing about marriage. And what he's really saying is that this is a model of, of all of us with Jesus. See, because he actually says that marriage ultimately is a model to us of Christ, the bride, or the bridegroom, and the church, the bride. And just as he's the head and we're the body, we actually mirror that in some way in our marriage. And so for that reason, if you're sitting here and you're married, you've actually got a responsibility to the whole church, to the kids, to people that are divorced, to people that had never been married, to people that are widowed, to actually remind them of the union of the church and Christ as you relate to your spouse. You carry that responsibility among us. Because we are all united and we're actually all submitting to one another. Back in verse 31. So the beauty of this passage is the union. The union of people who are married. And this is kind of like the path of the uniting that happens. The wife says, please lead me. And the husband says, I'll give my all to you. And actually when it works, creates a circle. Lead me, please. How can I give my life for you, please, says, should say the husband. And if that's what is happening in your marriage, then your marriage is being affected by the gospel and it is turning more and more into a beautiful thing. So can I encourage you, if you're married, to heed these words. Now, I've already said this is such a hard thing to talk about because we live in such an ugly world. And so I don't want to stop here because I need to acknowledge that your, your life might be tainted, not tainted, that's the wrong word, but, but it, it's been affected by that sin, by utter selfishness in place of this. Maybe you've lived through a divorce. Well, don't forget the grace that we are all dependent on. Because none of this is apart from the grace of Jesus. We live in a world that is ugly in its sinfulness. And so a lot of what the world might tell us about marriage is that it's about our self-fulfillment kind of somehow found in another person. Well, don't get caught up in putting too much weight and expectation on another person to satisfy or fulfill you. You are first a child of God. And so that person is not, you're not in union with them to be fulfilled by them. If you put that weight on your spouse, they will be crushed under it. Don't look there for that. In an ugly world of sin, marriages have been marred by an abuse of power. There is an extent in which these verses recognise that there is a difference between men and women, a good, God-ordained difference. But it's not uncommon for that difference to have resulted in violence. And do you know what? 
violence is always sinful. There is never a case for that. There is never a, you know, an excuse for that. Also, we live in a world where there's, it's, it's ugly because there's just a, deniety, a, de, sorry, a denying of the equalness, the equality in the difference that exists there. We live in a world that says that gender doesn't matter, that there's in, inequality in actually what these verses are saying, that you are called into different roles. Well, with all that in mind, just consider these things. I think I've got three points. If you're married, obey these verses and do it in a way that shines into an ugly world, shines into a dark world that is so mucked up in this area. It's the light of the gospel. It's a light to your neighbours, your kids and your unbelieving family and even your believing family. In fact, it is light even in your own life because if you are in a marriage, you actually get the privilege of experiencing what... You know, what it's like to be the whole church or what it's like to be Jesus himself. So if you're married, obey these verses. But second of all, if you're married, never distort these verses. If you're a husband, never use this to justify any kind of violence or control or manipulation or laziness or criticism because there is no room for it. And this verse actually calls you to repent. To repent and fall on the grace of Jesus. If you're a wife, don't believe that sinful behaviour should be submitted to. This doesn't call you to that. Abuse in whatever form is not tolerated and not to be tolerated. If that is part of your story, then please speak to me, speak to my wife Tara, speak to one of the elders, because we want to say you will be believed and you'll be supported. And even if that's not you, but it's like someone in close proximity to you, to some extent, I know personally, I've still got a willingness to offer some kind of support into that because we know that that is sin and that is not anything of the beauty of these passages. There is one other category. You might be married to a non-believer. And there are other passages that speak to you. And write this down. It's 1 Peter chapter 3. And 1 Peter chapter 3 goes through what it looks like to be submitted to an unbelieving husband in that instance. But the the same application is there. And do you know what? If you're not married, just quickly a couple of things. If you plan or hope to get married at some point, remember that marriage is not an ultimate thing. Okay? Okay? In fact, marriage here is told to be a profound mystery. And because it's in this way that it's actually a model of what Jesus does with the church. It is a profound mystery. And not only that, singleness is also a complete way to live because we're not completed by our marriage or by our singleness. We are completed when we are adopted as a child of God. Full stop. And both are held up as God-ordained ways to live. But if you do plan or hope to get married, and particularly you young ones, look for someone who is godly and walking on the path that Ephesians talks about, someone that is maturing in that faith. And everyone in this building, we've got to hold marriage in high regard. Hold marriage in high regard. Bring it under the lordship of Jesus. Now, if you want a real deep application of these verses, Back in 2012, our old pastor, Paul, he's getting a lot of mentions today, isn't he? He preached on this, okay, and I'll send out a link on the email and you can go back and listen to it and he really digs into these verses and what they mean a lot, uh, a lot deeper than I have. If the gap between what I'm saying and your, where you personally are in coming to know Jesus or you're growing in your faith in Jesus, if this is just too big a gap and you're thinking, how could he be up there saying this stuff? I'm happy to talk to you and I'm happy to give you material that actually takes you deeper into these verses to help you to understand where these are coming from. Because let's have, let the, word have the, the Bible have the final word on this. Listen to verse 33. Each one of you must love his wife 
as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. And that's what we're aiming for as submitted people. The next two are quicker. The third beautiful relationship that the gospel spills into is our families. Don't we just love our kids? I don't know about you, but it's not an uncommon statement at this church to just marvel at how many little kids are running around. It's a beautiful thing. We're blessed with so many. I'm blessed in, my youth, in running the youth group now that you've brought kids up in the church and that they're there and that they're inviting their friends along. It's a beautiful thing that has been happening. We've even got them being born among our, our congregation. Jesus was very clear, wasn't he, that God's kingdom is for kids. It's for the kids. They tried to stop bringing the kids to him. He said, no, it's for these ones that the kingdom of heaven belongs. The fact that this verse actually begins by addressing children shows that this early Ephesian church had actually followed on with what Jesus had said because this letter would have been written and read among the congregation. And this is assuming that the children are sitting there to hear and receive this. Isn't that a remarkable thing? It's so countercultural. I mean, I know that some of you were brought up in a, in a time where children were to be seen and not heard. And that's kind of like gone by the wayside to some extent. But then the other extent, children are like treated in a very different way now, I think, in that they're kind of treated by and large like an inconvenience. I'm not talking about in our church, but for so many kids, what's their early experience of life? To spend, you know, time in long daycare centres and to not really be integrated into a family, to be farmed out here and there. The fact that these verses are here show that the church had incorporated children. Now, Jenny shared with the kids the command that's here for them, and I'm not going to go over that. But what it does change here is there's a different word. He doesn't tell children to submit to your parents. He actually teaches you to obey your parents, show obedience to them. It's the stronger word. It's the way that we relate to God. We obey God. And this is, you've got to remember this, this is the nature of a relationship with children. Okay, so if you're a parent, this is for you. Do everything that you can to have your children obey you. Now, are children going to obey you 100% of the time? No. So I got so bailed up by Luna yesterday. I was trying to get her to the toilet. We were toilet training her, and I tried stupid tactic. I said, do we need to go buy some nappies from the shop? Will I call you my little baby? And she's been hated. I've had to break the habit of calling her, oh, my bubba, because she hates it. Now, I'm, I'm a big girl, Dad. I'm a big girl, she tells me. And... I just went, I went along with this and I was like, you know, um, do you want me to go and buy some nappies or are you going to go to the toilet and you're going to be a big girl? And she, said, and she just hugged, put her head on me and she said, I'll be your baby daddy. Because <laughs> she, she wasn't having any of it. It's not easy to get your kids to obey you, but how much easier is it going to be for our kids to obey us if we are obedient to our Heavenly Father? Yeah? We've got to model that. Like Jenny said, it's a command with a promise that it might go well for us. It hinges the whole Ten Commandments. This is one of the Ten Commandments. Love the Lord, love God, don't have idols, all that. And then he gets to the fifth one and he says this before he talks about relationships with others. We are the ones that will teach our children and bring them up in the Lord. I've only had five years of being a parent. And I already know the feeling of failure. So work hard at it. Remember that you are under grace and you've got God's spirit to guide you in this. And do it prayerfully. There's one specific warning here, isn't there? And it's for dads and it's to not exasperate your kids. Now to look up that word because it's kind of a bit weird, exasperate. It's not one I use every day. But when I looked it up, it said don't irritate and frustrate someone intensely. And do you know what? As this sermon was mulling over in my head, I was also in the pool with Sonny, who's walked into the room, and I realised that my teasing was not playful, that it was actually because he was 
I was being annoyed and I was acting out of frustration. It's so easy to do. Listen to what it says. Bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. The last area that's addressed here is of slaves and masters. And do you know what? I'm going to pull the pin on that bit because the kids are already back in here with us and we need to get to morning tea. But just one final word from this passage. See, most of our time is actually spent outside of here. You're not here with these same people day in, day out, are you? Our life submitted to Christ is beyond our time together on Sunday morning. It's beyond the times that we connect in other ways. Most of our time is actually spent in these areas, with your spouse, with your kids, at your work, if you are in those categories. And if not, it's in the community where there is different levels of people in leadership and in power. There are leaders and there are followers. So I want to encourage you to, in this week, read over these verses again. And ask that God would show you where you need to grow. To show you where you need to repent and to bring you under the power of his Holy Spirit. And ultimately to give you the humility to do it. Because the only way we can submit to someone is if we're humble enough to do it. These verses touch all of life just as they should. And that's because the gospel is so rich. The gospel is not just one aspect of who you are, but it totally redefines everything about you. And so it should totally redefine every relationship that you are in. These realities truly begin now in the relationships that are around you. And the grace of God working through you is the light in the dark of the world. So I want to encourage you and implore us all to be that light by submitting to Christ and one another in these ways. Jesus said, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's who you're called to submit to. How easy is it when we think of it like that? Let's pray to that end. Loving Father, we just ask for your help to hold everything in balance. Lord, sometimes when we take on that much information, it's like we're trying to get a drink out of a fire hydrant. So Father, just help us to, to depend on your spirit, my Lord, to speak into our life. And Lord, help us to make changes constantly in our life, Lord, as we go on walking in your path. Lord, that will lead us and guide us further and further in coming under your lordship. And Lord, living lives that in various ways show that beautiful gospel to one another. We pray this by your Spirit's power. In Jesus' name, amen.